works. But this morning, we're, we're a part of this series um, of sermons that we're looking at across this semester, looking at big questions. Um, we've looked at love, sex and marriage. We've looked at how you think about ethics and um, arguments for and against religious beliefs. Um, but, uh, we've looked at handling wealth and power. So we've looked at, we're looking at some big ethical questions. And uh, later on in the semester, we'll look at more philosophical questions like Christianity and Islam, like what is the meaning of life, things like this. Um, how do we think about the existence of God and suffering, these kinds of questions. So um, big questions. This morning, um, God and politics. And uh, uh, a verse that will be is an important verse for a Christian understanding on the topic that I'll read briefly as we begin is Matthew chapter 22. The Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Chapter 22, the large numbers that divide up the books of the Bible, chapters, and then verse 19 and following. Matthew 22, sorry, from verse 15, beg your pardon, verse 15, following. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. We know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. I'll pray briefly and then we'll get into this theme of um, God and politics, religion and politics. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to start the day together in community and also together uh, listening to what your Bible has to say and thinking about what it means for our personal lives and our public lives um, in our society as well. Please help me say things which are clear and true and helpful and help us be able to think and listen and assess those things wisely and well. Guide us, we pray, to, to think and speak and live well to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's interesting doing these kinds of topics because on one level it's the nitty-gritty of what it means for Christians to be consistent with their own faith. However, I think it also is super helpful for people who aren't Christians to sort of wrap their head around what Christianity means. That When you're trying to understand something, uh, you get the simple summary, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But to really know what that means, you've got questions about, well, God, what kind of God? How many gods? You know... Who made God? Or what's this Father, Son and Holy Spirit? How does that all work? And the world, what's, what does it mean to be in the world? What is, the, is the physical world evil or illusory? What, you know, what do you mean by world? And love, what is love? What's your definition? You see how quickly you, you get into these kind of, there's larger questions. To even understand the basics of Christianity, there's larger questions. But my experience has often been that if I try and talk with someone, even about that, you know, the, the central message of Christianity, God's love, and the salvation in Jesus Christ, the questions that come next sometimes aren't about God, love, the world, belief, or salvation, or Jesus, but they're about, so what do you think about the Australian Christian lobby, or gay marriage, or the environment? 
or do you see what I mean? That when people are trying to understand, um, you know, and, and perhaps you might be the same thing if you were chatting with a Muslim. You'd say, oh, what do you think about burqas or terrorism? Or mm-hmm. you've got these other questions and you're trying to go, well, how, how does, <laughs> now that I've got a real life Christian in front of me, how, how does what you believe relate to these other things I hear? Help me understand, you know? And so it, it, although we're on one hand speaking very much to Christian beliefs and behaviour, I think it is super helpful for others who are trying to understand Christianity too, to sort of get a sense of the other bits and how they hang together and hopefully help you who are Christians to know what to say if you get asked. So I've got two points this morning. Um, They're both double-barrelled points, so you could say I have four points, whatever suits you. So the first point is everything is religion, dot, 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 but not everything is religion. And the second point is, <laughs> everything is politics, dot, dot, dot. But not everything is politics. Everything is religion, dot, dot, dot. But not everything is religion. Everything is religion. Uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. You know, Matthew twenty two twenty one. But what is God's? What belongs to God? Everything, surely. Like, if... The Christian God is the one God who created absolutely everything in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, the sky and the earth. From him, everything else comes that is there. Nothing that has been made um, has, has all been made by him. There's nothing that hasn't been made that he hasn't made. Um, sure, you could say, oh, religion is a small part of life that can be contained. If religion is merely ritual or merely cultural. That can often be the, the way we, we kind of bury religion under culture, um, which is disrespectful to religion and you know, disrespectful to culture, really. But um, you know, if it's merely ritual, merely cultural, superstition, or a magical view of religion, where there's gods or spirits for travel or uh, finance or something like this. Um, but, uh, but Christianity, I mean, at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus declares, after rising from the dead, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He he rules over everything. Uh, The letter to the Colossians speaks about Jesus as before everything. In him, everything hangs together. He is the ruler over every throne and authority and principality and power, every spirit and angel and demon and king and emperor and lord and middle management government official, police officer. Parent. Um, he's the king of everything. And as a result, therefore, to give to God what is God's really in the first place means to give God everything. That on a coin, perhaps, you have the image of Caesar. Well, the Bible says human beings are made in the image of God, that actually all of me belongs to God. Uh, Romans chapter 12 talks about the Christian life of worship, and it's not just liturgy or ritual. But rather, here's the Christian life of worship, Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship, or your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Your whole life offered up is a continual act of worship to God. Yeah? Everything is religion in that sense. And even if you're not religious, then everything is 
fundamentally philosophical in some sense. Everybody is living with a sense of purpose or meaning or significance, even if it is, there is no purpose or meaning or significance. We all have a philosophical frame, a, uh, a leap of faith into saying, well, this is what the world is like and this is what it means to live in the world. Yeah. It's not like there's some default common sense view of kind of atheism or agnosticism that's the default and then there's religious people. We all hold a philosophical position of a kind, a religious position, if you like, of a kind. And that's important to say because, because in that sense, everything is religious. It's important distinction between, people often speak of the separation of church and state, to mean the separation of um, religion from politics. Now, they're actually two quite different things. The separation of church and institution and the state and institution and the separation of religion, all of the things that feed into someone's beliefs and philosophy and ethics and, and worship, and politics, all the things to do with power and relationships and ethics and, and so on. Yeah? The separation of church and state is an important thing. That has to do with the disestablishment of religion, the separation between state power and religious power. That's a very different thing. You know, so, but when someone says, oh, why is that politician talking about religious beliefs? Don't we believe in the separation of church and state? It's important to go, well, yes, but that's not... The person is expressing their religious beliefs in politics, not expressing necessarily a church ruling over the state thing. Do you see the difference? You could look at the different countries, uh, key Western uh, countries, to see uh, the ways this can look differently. So in the United Kingdom, we, we don't have a disestablishment of religion. We actually have an established religion, the Church of England. That until relatively recently, you know, in the late 19th century, you couldn't graduate with a degree from a university if you weren't from the Church of England in the United States. Isn't that interesting? Until relatively recently, that's how established things were in England. And yet, even England has a long, centuries-long history of distinction between church and state goes right back to the Magna Carta and the claim that the king um, doesn't have ultimate moral authority over his citizens, but actually because the church and religion is separate from the king's power, it can call the king to account uh, and speak of natural rights of property owners and so on. So even in, a non uh, in an established United Kingdom, there still is a distinction between the different roles of church and state. Yeah, Australia. Um, oh, no, let's go to the other extreme. America. America has um, a non-establishment of any religion. So that, that no religion, no law will establish any religion ever, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a strong distinction between church and state. And yet America is one of the marvels of modern democracies in being so extremely religious. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That actually the influences of religious beliefs are very live and always have been in American life, even though the formal structures have that strong distinction, and sitting in between is Australia, <laughs> um, which actually isn't as strong as America. We, we are a secular nation, but our constitution speaks about the not the establishment of a single religion. So it's not that uh, the government shall not establish any religion, but it's the government shall not establish a single religion. 
partly because the outspoken Scottish Highlanders who migrated here said, why should all the money, money go to the English? <laughs> what about the Presbyterians? <laughs> and so very, and then the Irish Catholics who came here and got out of convictism and began to also be influenced, then to say, well, what about us? And so actually Australia doesn't believe in the, the American version of disestablishment, but rather a kind of an equitable, well, you can, uh, you can support religions, it's got to be fair <laughs> about how you do that. Isn't that so? So there's, there's these differences to how that looks, right? Um, uh, so in this sense, uh, secularism in the first place um, uh, can become yet another religious ideology where religion can have no say in society, that the only things that get supported are non-religious or even anti-religious views and positions. Well, that's also a potentially a threat to uh, a, a distinction between church and state, yeah. Um, that it can end up becoming establishing materialistic atheism by accident, a strong version of secularism. Instead, what we need to figure out is how do we, between these distinctions between church and state, preserve liberty amongst diversity. So everything is religious. So you know that that you can't fully separate church and state. However, not everything is religious, and that's the other thing we need to realise with Jesus' answer. Jesus does suggest there can be a distinction between Caesar and God. Even though everything is God's, he can still say that coin in the first place, it's Caesar's inscription on it. Sure, give him that money. It's just money. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah? And to God's what is God's. You can have these spheres, if you like, of authority and distinctness. Yeah. Um, uh, and in this weaker sense, originally this is what secularism meant. Secularism originally just means this worldism, things of this world, like government, like family, um, like roads or hospitals. Um, and in this sense, uh, secularism is even a religious concept. In fact, even the church as an institution is a secular institution. It has its offices and its constitutions and its budgets and its buildings, right? Um, so secularism in its, in its original sense didn't mean atheism or non-religiousism, it meant this-worldism. And in this world, you have families, and you have governments, and you have hospitals, and you have schools, and you have sports clubs, and you have the government. Yeah? Each of these are distinct things, each of them have their place. And so you can, in that sense, distinguish the church as an institution from the government as an institution and each can have their place. Not everything needs to be religious in the sense that uh, religious leaders should govern everything, yeah? But more than that, the Christian Bible speaks to every area of life, yes. It's sufficient to equip us to know God, worship God, obey God in all of our lives. We don't need something else to be able to know God, be saved and worship and please him speaks to everything in life, because all is involved in that act of worship. However, just because the Bible is relevant to everything doesn't mean it speaks with as much detail or clarity on every topic. Let's go around the room quickly and name our different disciplines of, of study. So I did arts, um, philosophy, French, history, Sarah. Music. Music. Psychology. Business. Business IT. International relations. Savannah. Law and arts. Social work. Theology. Engineering. Engineering and science. History. Counseling. Michael. Law. Theology. 
There's a whole lot of different areas there, yeah? A whole lot of different areas. And the Bible speaks and touches on those in a whole bunch of relevant ways, but it doesn't say everything on those topics. It doesn't address all the details of psychology and law and politics and art and music. It doesn't speak in great detail. Hey, you know what? Even in the act of theology, there's a constructive work in theology of, say, addressing Islam. That's a constructive interaction that the Bible doesn't give us everything we need explicitly to address the claims of Islam. There's a constructive work in theology, isn't there? Do you see? That have to work out how you apply those things, yeah? So the Bible is relevant to everything, but doesn't mean it speaks with equal detail to everything, including politics, political views, economic systems, and so on. There's a kind of well-intentioned but a distortion that comes when Christians, because they believe the Bible speaks to everything, try to extract an entire economic and political system from what the Bible does say. It's a fraught and misguided effort, I would say, to, to do it, and the more confident you are in it, especially. Everything is religious, and yet not everything is religious. There are these different spheres. The Bible doesn't speak with equal clarity and detail with every single sphere. And the reality is, of this world, of secularism, this worldism, is there will always be diversity. And increasingly, since the 20th century, increasing diversity of belief um, and uh, ethnic origin, cultural standing, and so on. And so anyone, religious or non-religious, as they govern, needs to ask, how do I govern a diverse population? A wise governor ought to know the limits of their power and the limits of their influence and respect diversity, whether it's Protestants and Catholics as, as a big issue, you know, 100, 200 years ago and more, or whether it's atheists and Christians, uh, different views on sexual practices. How do you hold together societies with some degree of sta stability and respect? where exceptions aren't seen as compromises, but as actually part of good governing, is to facilitate exceptions because of liberty of conscience. Yeah? Christians slowly stumbled in this direction <laughs> as they grew in power and influence at various times, had to wrestle with these questions. What, what, how do we make sense of uh, the Jews in our community, the pagans in our community, the Catholics, the Protestants, the free thinkers and so on? Muslims in the Crusades, states and so on. How do we wrestle with this? Christians have often gotten it wrong, as humans in general often overuse their power, sadly. But slowly stumbled towards increasingly a realisation that, hang on, if we believe God has got a conscience and that the kind of worship he wants is spirit and truth and free faith, then we actually need to run societies that facilitate free faith and conscience even if those societies facilitate heresy <laughs> and false worship and idolatry. That's something they stumbled towards slowly. I mean, the pilgrims left England because they didn't want to be members of the Anglican Church uh, to establish free worship in America. Although they became quite oppressive there, some people have said. The, um, uh, the Pilgrim Fathers went to America to pursue forms of oppression that weren't available to them in England. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, in a misguided way, that you often did end up with a new form of establishment of a kind in America 
Um, and yet in both places, England and America, they began to more and more go, hang on, we can't keep doing this. We need to actually, um, whether it's the beginnings of the Elizabethan settlements that set England on a trajectory to say, we need to live with the fact the Baptists and the Presbyterians will always have with us. How do we facilitate that? Or in America, moving towards its constitution and a full disestablishment of religion, yeah? Because God is the God of conscience, yeah? There must be space for what we see in the Bible. Joseph and Moses in Pharaoh's court, Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court, Naaman in Aram, Esther and Nehemiah with the Persians, that compromise and complicity are not absolute evils, but are realities in our world. There you go. So everything is religious, but not everything is religious. That's the first heading. The second is like it. Everything is political, dot, 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 but not everything is political. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's going to be a similar kind of thing. We'll realise that, uh, that there's this balance in this. That's where the wisdom lies, in the fuzzy grey area, you know. Almost anyone, whether it's in the religion one or the political one, if they get too ideological, alarm bells should go off. There's a dance in between here, right? So similarly, everything is political. Because after all, what is politics? Isn't that just human social organisation? What is politics? Two people in a room. Hmm. <laughs> um, what is war? Three people in a room, I guess. Um, <laughs> that, uh, when, I mean, hands up if you have more than three siblings growing up. You've lived in a pretty complex social... Hands up if three siblings from multiple parents. Anyone come from uh, kind of a... Yeah, that's, that's even more complexity because then there's suddenly not even just multiple siblings but then multiple kind of, you know, uh, origins in terms of family as well. That's a quite a complex political system and middle children and younger children learn certain... Th I was chatting to Ben Powell last week, one of the other um, people who gets involved with us and, and he's from a family of six and he was describing the, you know, the analogy of how like, the, uh, the younger kids, um, you know, they, they have this kind of almost little subunit within the siblings. Then there's the older kids who are a bit more like this. And as the older kids grew up and left home, he said we became more sarcastic as a family <laughs> because uh, there's a different temperament to the young. It's interesting, isn't it? There's these little um, uh, alliances that form maybe across lines of sex or preference or birth order or birth parent and so on. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it's the management of human social organisation and especially the management of power, the right exercise of power and the limits of power, surely. I mean, democracy is an interesting version of that, isn't it? Where democracy distributes power and so everything is political, even as far as our governing system is concerned. We have multiple levels of power from, from the federal to the local and then we have the voting constituency we don't get to vote on every decision. We just vote for a representative who then will partly consider what we think, partly govern as they see fit, you know? And, and so we've got a, and yet we also have fr free press and somewhat free um, press, somewhat free uh, right to protest and other forms of lobbying that, that we actually share in government in our liberal democracies in different ways. The, uh, the citizens are participants um, uh, in the process. But more than just democracy, think about other things. Parents and siblings, like I said. Sports teams, there's a politics in sports teams and the management of power and personality. And you see that um, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary? It's a fascinating study in power amongst the Chicago Bulls and all the structures there, the owner of the team, the manager of the team, the captain of the team, and so on. The sponsors. 
uh, TV and film by what they highlight, celebrate, don't speak about, uh, are political in various ways. Economics, how wealth is distributed and concentrated and accessed. Property. Religion, we talk about church politics because there is a politics in church, both a formal and an informal. Um, we could talk about gender politics, racial politics, sexual politics. Oh, <laughs> everything is political in that sense. Yeah. A slogan that became popular in the late 20th century, the personal is the political. It's very true. There are, even on the personal level, there are political dimensions. But more than that, large-scale politics works its way out in personal politics. Sometimes filtering down, sometimes bubbling up. That's two-directional, right? So that's an interesting process as well, yeah? It's all around us. We swim in a political world. Everyday acts are political acts. And that's an exciting thought for a Christian. Think about Matthew 5 through this lens, the Sermon on the Mount. Think about this as, as a, from the point of view of everything is political. The personal is the political. What a political act it is to be a poor in spirit, mourner because of sin, meek in the face of power, hungering for righteousness, showing mercy, showing peace, and the Beatitudes. Someone who uh, sees not just the criminal act of murder, but the personal uh, political uh, lowercase c crime of anger and insult. And the radical transformation of uh, just not avoiding murder, not avoiding anger, of actually being quick to make peace. 525, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're with them on the way. Hmm. When you're going to go and worship, verse 23, and you realise you've got a conflict, go and reconcile first. And it goes on to speak about adultery, that it's not just the literal breaking of a marriage vow, but a faithfulness and a non-predatory kind of lustfulness or covetous lustfulness um, that goes beyond just marriage covenants and... Um, and the, uh, the act of sex, truth-telling, he speaks about retributive justice, he speaks about loving enemies, he finishes the chapter with. The personal is the political. What a political chapter in that sense. If these things characterise our, our personal lives, our family lives, our sporting lives, our conduct in the classroom um, and in the kitchen um, and on the road and so on and so forth, the personal is the political. Um, there's a, uh, an adjective that gets in, in conservative circles now used as an insult word that I think is actually a, quite a pretty word, and that is the word woke. Woke sometimes gets used by conservative commentators now as an insult for the most ridiculous extremes of political correctness. But what's it originally trying to capture? This, basically. Waking up to the fact that in everyday life, I have an opportunity to make a difference uh, politically in the world. That by acceptance of others, respect of others, seeking forgiveness from others, learning from others, I can wake up to the influence I can make. There's a Christian version of that. Wake up to the way that you can live consistently with your faith in everyday life, yeah? Wake up to the positive influence you can have in the world if you are someone who makes peace, shows mercy, welcomes the poor and the weak and so on and so forth, yeah? Um, 
And that's the same, uh, uh, this is the same in tr- church, yeah? In our church lives, do we express these things too? Are we aware of the way in which there is a politics in church life? Are we, do we fight against the ways that can go bad and can become about in-groups and out-groups? Uh, the, the cool kids in youth group is such a terrible thought, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's a reality. There will be the cool kids in youth group, but wouldn't it be great if the personal is the political in our gospel, Matthew 5 sense, eats away at that and actually what's cool i mean we, i joke with my teenagers about going now you'd be safe when you go for that bushwalk because you know what's really cool being safe <laughs> uh, and then they groan and then they're pretty good kids um uh, but what's really cool kids well what's really cool for a christian well it's being loving it's being a peacemaker it's welcoming the poor and the weak not being glamorous and clever and cool and so on and so forth yeah Everything is political, but hang on, not everything is political. Yeah, Jesus can still talk about some things that are God's, not Caesar's. It's not his business. There's taxes and government, and there's everything else. There's a distinction yeah, between these. And Caesar was aware of that to some extent. He had to deal with the fact that the Jews were a pretty self-contained group in his empire, uh, and largely they did a lot of good to his empire, as long as they didn't get into political... F- ferment, <laughs> that became difficult. Um, but in, in many ways, they were part of the fabric of the empire and so granted uh, freedoms to them to recognise that reality, yeah? That, that there were some things that were the Jews' business, not Caesar's business. And there are other things that were Caesar's business. I think sometimes politicians and journalists and people who love reading the news can end up buying the lie that the nation is what you read in the newspaper and what politics talk about, politicians talk about. That's the nation. That's the conversation. No, that's Canberra and the major newspapers and the people who are kind of stands for Canberra and the newspapers are just kind of like that stuff, are fans for it. Um, no, there's a whole lot of stuff that the newspapers don't report on, the politicians don't talk about, and people carry on with their lives blissfully ignoring all of it. And rightly so. It's not their business. That is, there is a, another danger to religious overreach, um, and that is political overreach, totalitarianism, totalitarian or absolutism, where the government presumes to take on too much control. A relatively recent thing, as populations grew, as social organisation grew, as war technology grew more advanced, and standing armies were needed, relatively recent thing, um, governments took on more and more control. Relatively recent thing in, in the world. Governments took more interest in the local, in the family, in the religion. I mean, you see ex- and other expressions of this in some versions of the Muslim state, a desire to have a religious totalitarianism, no distinction between um, uh, government and religion. Sometimes in life, the solution is not another law. Sometimes the solution to a problem is to, to pray, is to educate, is to empower other groups. Uh, you see this in industry. Sometimes regulation shouldn't be government regulation, but should be industry-based regulation and so on. Yeah? In- industry peak bodies. Society is complex uh, and ought to be that actually things like families, businesses, art, voluntary societies, schools, churches, actually protect people 
from the government by creating other buffers, other structures between them and the government. Our extreme totalitarian government, like the communist states, ate away at that and take control of everything all the way down. <clears throat> Whereas Christianity actually has, has quite, had quite a history, right back to like monasteries and things, um, of having structures other than the government, kind of honeycombing society. Yeah, Christianity has had this constant, right back to Jesus, right back to the Old Testament, where you have prophets, priests and kings, structures other than just one structure to, uh, to build up society. Everything is political, yeah, but not everything is directly political in the sense of related to the government. Yeah, there are other ways to handle things. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is, uh, as I've said, in one sense political, but in another sense, it's not a rule book for government. Uh, it's not that governments should always turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Sometimes governments need to defend nations against aggressors. Sometimes governments need to jail criminals and so on and so forth. But there's a, there's a difference between a proper, appropriate use of force for a government or even for a parent um, and, and the personal interactions that might be more peacemaking. Although even in personal interactions, there are times you tap government too for protection and so on. Yeah. Everything is political, but not everything is political. There is a time for, um, uh, to, for saying, actually, this, is, this needs to be dealt with on a different level. There are times when we need new laws and there are times when we need to deal with things with other ways as well. And we need to ask that in our own lives. Is our instinct always to sue? Always to argue the principle. So the idea of a microaggression is highlighting the fact that when you use certain turns of phrase, for example, towards someone with some kind of disability, if you use a turn of phrase, the inappropriate one, it's a little, it's a, yet another nail in the coffin of, of social inequality. So you might choose to speak up and fight that as a microaggression. There's a place for that. Everything's political. At other times, you might go, but not everything's political. They didn't mean anything by it. It was a harmless comment. I'll let it go. So there's that dance, you see. There's two ways that you might deal with things. With neighbours, when you have the uh, property dispute, and when you deal with it personally, or just let it go. There's, that, there's a balance of both. Yeah. And so in conclusion, let me talk to you about two principles, two other places in the Bible you need to look to, to see how these two truths are expressed. Everything is political, but not everything's political. Everything's religious, but not everything's religious. Two places, very important places that work out this idea in practice. The first is Acts chapter 5. The apostles are urged not to speak in the name of Jesus by ruling authorities. And what do they say? We must obey God rather than men. Must obey God rather than human beings. We cannot stop speaking in the name of Jesus. God has entrusted us with something and God is greater, a greater king, a greater politician, if you like, than, um, than a synagogue or a Caesar. That's the first one, Acts chapter 5. We must obey God rather than human beings. First principle. There is a point where actually religion trumps politics. Second, Romans chapter 13, the other side of it, there are many cases where we honour God by obeying governments, even governments that aren't religious, that might be even anti-religious, that we honour God who establishes order in society um, for good, 
to restrain evil, to encourage good. Um, and so we should show honour, should pay taxes, even to unreligious, evil governments. So that, that, that's two outworkings of it. Acts 5 uh, and Romans 13. That, that in practice, we need to be asking those two questions the whole time. When is this a obey God rather than human beings issue? When is this a honour the uh, submit to the government out of reverence for God issue? We're out of... Oh, I've got one minute left, so I can take one quest- question. Uh, if, if anyone has a question, and we can stay around to come and ask me questions after. but a comment. I really like how you said at the beginning how um, we are made in God's image, therefore we should submit ourselves to God. That's not what I made a connection before. Yeah. Um, but also the, the, the face on, on the coin is for Caesar and the, we're, we're made in the image of God, therefore for God. Yeah. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, great. No, thanks. Okay, I'll pray and we'll fin- feel free to hang around as long as you like or head off as soon as you want. Heavenly Father, we ask then for the wisdom to f- work out what this looks like in practice as we think about and talk about these issues um, as we live it out, as we vote, as we um, interact day to day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, everyone. And if you're interested in the fellowship group, you can express interest on the iPads.